Our scripture reading this morning is Luke chapter 2, if you want to go there, Luke chapter 2 being with the 21st verse, and it is still part of the uh, Christmas story. It is the account of Mary and Joseph uh, taking their newborn Jesus to the temple in Jerusalem, and it's actually, in the reading, there are three different ceremonies, actually, that uh, are mentioned that Mary and Joseph participate in. One is Jesus' circumcision, and then there's the purification for both Mary and Joseph. Joseph must have been involved in the delivery that he also needed the purification. And then the third one is the dedication of their firstborn. So there's sort of those three ceremonies are all wrapped into one, or at least it appears in the, in the reading as we hear it. Uh, that's what's going on. So let's, let's, and while they're in Jerusalem, they're at the temple, they meet two very interesting people of whom we're, you're going to hear more about this morning. So Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 21. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation for the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel." The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him, and then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required of the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. The child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Thanks be to God. I did say last Sunday that that was going to be the last what-if sermon, and I meant it, but I'm like a dog with a bone, and I can't seem to let it go. And the text this morning was still part of the Christmas story, a part that we hadn't yet read or looked at. And I also have this sort of assumption, and you know what they say when you assume things, but I have this assumption that if you hear it enough, this whole what-if thing, if you hear it enough, it's going to sink in. Uh, The whole idea that what if God is always coming, always arriving, always 
in some way being incarnational, always in some way desiring to conceive something in us, to give birth to something in us or through us, what if? Okay? And just as he did long ago, two millennia ago, in the whole Christ event. The what if question and possibility that it will, this is my hope, that it will sink in and be more than just words and ideas, but that it will actually inspire us and move us, prompt us to action. To, to, and to be, to not just, I'm going to say it this way, the world does not need the church to play church. The world needs the church to be the church, to be the body of Christ, to be both contemplative and action-oriented. That's what the world needs. And uh, to be an active force for good, for goodwill, for healing and hope, which means that we each, individually and collectively, have a part to play in God's yet unfolding story. What I want to draw your attention to in the story of Simeon and Anna this morning is simply this. Here were two people, two individuals, and by the way, they're not a couple. You probably figured that out if you were listening closely to the text. Um, Nothing is said about whether um, Simeon is married or widowed, uh, but he's presumably very old. And Anna also is very old, and depending on how the, the original Greek is translated, she either was married for seven years and then became a widow for until she was 84 at this point, or she was a widow for 84 years. But the text says she was very old. So she was at least 84. She may have been well, well over that, depending on, again, how, how that's interpreted. And it's interesting that it says she was a prophetess. Now, just an aside, you, you can't be a prophetess and not be speaking, <laughs> okay? Which means she was filled with the Holy Spirit. She was... She was in the temple. It says she fasted day and night. So she's a very devout believer. But she's also listening. She's hearing from God. And, she's, and being a prophetess means because she's in Jerusalem, because she's in the temple system, it's just, how do I say this? A prophetess is one who recognizes where things need to change. Okay? They don't just foretell the future. They also call out what needs to change in the present. So she's within the system. She's able to critique the system. That's all I'm saying. And so she may not have been all that well-loved or liked by many who were... That's all I'm just saying. That's sort of an aside. Being a pro- Prophets aren't well-liked, right? So, uh, but that's what she was, and she was there in the temple system. And then there's Simeon. God had somehow revealed to him, we don't know when or what the circumstances was, but somehow God had revealed to Simeon by his spirit that he was going to live to see the Christ, the long-awaited Savior, the Messiah. And and Simeon, Simeon was attentive to the Holy Spirit, listening, discerning, leaning in, trusting, believing, to the point that Simeon not only believed when God uh, approached him and said, you're going to live until the time of, of seeing the Christ, but this very day, uh, Simeon uh, is prompted by the Holy Spirit. He's listening, he responds, and the Spirit prompts him to go into the temple at the time that Mary and Joseph are there. So Simeon is moved by the Holy Spirit. And I love hearing stories like that of, of someone who's sort of been nudged prompted, pushed by the Holy Spirit, and they paid attention to it, and they responded. I love hearing those stories. I love it when it has happened in my own life, and I'm obviously I'm sure there's many times that I have ignored or missed 
God's prompting or leading. But on those, some of those occasions, oh, the stories I could tell you of God putting me in just the right place at the right time in the right circumstances to partner in what he was already doing in someone else's life. It wasn't always easy. Sometimes it involved some confrontations, but, but always it was, it was very apparent. There were, all, all I'm saying is I don't hardly believe in coincidences anymore. That if you're paying attention, God is at work around you all the time and even wants to involve you. So don't be surprised if he's nudging you from time to time. Pay attention to those things. In fact, when those things happen, you're standing on holy ground. You're on holy ground when those things are happening. Because God is right there and he's at work. And you're being invited to be part of it. So that moment when Simeon takes, he's prompted to go into the temple, that moment when he takes the Christ child, baby Jesus, into his arms is an amazing moment. This is what what Simeon has been waiting for his whole life. And for some reason, God gave him a little extra insight to say, guess what? You're actually going to live to see that day. And I have no idea what Simeon thought he was going to see. Was he going to see the Christ fully, fully, you know, uh, as an adult or what, but here he, he takes him as a baby. Really? Here, this is what I've been waiting for? I guess so. Why not? This baby, this infant, this baby step, if you will. And, and here it is, the Savior, the, the Savior of the world, the consolation of Israel, the, 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 the long-awaited Messiah and Christ. And, and Simeon takes him into his arms, and, and he and he sees the radiance of God's face in the face of Jesus, and it prompts him. He's filled with the Spirit, and he declares, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles, and for the glory of your people Israel. Friends, as you as you hold Jesus close to you, I'm not talking about holding baby Jesus in your arms, but I'm saying as you hold Jesus close to you, in your heart, in your life, in your soul, as you hold Christ close, trusting that he is holding you, you are empowered to live in joy and to die in peace with the same confident assurance as old Simeon. Here's one more really important thing I want to say about Simeon and Anne, and I hope you're listening. I think many of us would probably say, you've heard it enough, so, so you'd at least agree with me. Like, can we just move on to another sermon series? Um, I think you would agree with me that God is always at work, right? Always at work around us. But I'm willing to guess that many of us think, yeah, but not so much in me. Or I don't really see it all that much. I hear you say this, but I don't, I don't see it. I don't sense it. I'm guessing that's where a lot of us are at. And, uh, and, uh, but I remind you, and, and I know you're probably thinking sometimes, well, who am I? Why would God invite me? Why would he include me? Why me? Let me remind you, let me remind you that Mary and Joseph... Zechariah and Elizabeth, shepherds, the Magi, Simeon and Anna, they were all ordinary people. They are all ordinary people who, yes, were privileged to be part of an extraordinary unfolding story, but so are you if you're paying attention. 
And I'm not even sure that, there, that there's even a kind of a common thread among all of those characters around the Christmas story, since some possessed a deeply devout faith, some doubted, and some, perhaps like the Magi, were more into astrology than spirituality, and yet they came as seekers. But God was at work in each of these individuals who have become part of this Christmas gospel. But he's at work in our own lives in similar ways, and we should not doubt it, but be open and attentive, listening, watching, waiting, and responsive to the ways that God is at work. I know, I know that some of you are beginning to get this idea of what if. What if. And you aren't necessarily looking for the giant steps that are, that are earth-shaking, that are going to change the world in huge ways. I think many of you are beginning to understand and appreciate that God can take your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger and in that spot, in that place, bring in that pl- to that place healing and hope, beauty and justice, love, and caring community. And thus the kingdom of God breaks into the presence. And, and there in your own life, in your own experience, is God's presence and love being incarnated. God with us. Even as we await its final fulfillment when Christ comes again. And I also think that as we age and find ourselves in our latter years, those golden years, like Simeon and Anna, that we are tempted to think that that we uh, tempted to think that we are uh, on the way out, that that life is passing us by, that moving on, that we're being left in the dustbin of history. And tragically, we think that because we're in our seventies or eighties or nineties, that God is somehow more interested in the young, the energetic, the movers and shakers, the best and the brightest. The truth is, friends, he's interested in everyone, everyone, young and old. He hasn't forgotten you any more than he had forgotten Simeon and Anna. God is looking for anyone who is searching, listening, leaning in, trusting, staying connected. And it is clear from the story of Simeon and Anna that God will include all ages, young and old the faithful and sometimes the faithless in his yet unfolding story. It's really, it's honestly quite exciting to think about it. This what if possibility that that God is actually always at work in us and around us and invites us to join him in what he's doing in this yet unfolding story. Yes, we have, we, have, we have some of the climaxes of the story. We have some of the important parts of the story here in this book. But this book is not the end of the story. This story continues to be lived out in our own time, in our own experience, in our own lives. And around this story as well, we've heard so much, again, I'm I'm going back to to the gospel narrative, the Christmas narrative, we hear so much about the Holy Spirit's activity in and around John the Baptist coming into the world and Jesus coming into the world and the ways that, that God's Spirit was at work and prompting in each of those individuals. And in the passage today, we hear of two elderly people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, who are blessed and prompted to speak. And this should, this, listen friends, this should not be unusual in our experience. The prophet Joel announced the time, and we're living in that time, between the times, between Christ's first coming and his second coming, in the 
I don't know, whatever you want to call it, the Pentecostal era, the church era, whatever. We're living in that time when the Holy Spirit is, as Joel said, poured out on all people, men and women. The old will dream dreams, Joel said, and the young will see visions. We should be expecting this. We should not be surprised when we hear the ways that the Holy Spirit is at work in people's lives. And I'm even going to be so bold as to suggest this. Joel says, poured out on all people. I'm taking that literally. I don't think that Christians and followers of Christ have a corner on truth and revelation. I believe that God is at work in many people. And I'm often stunned by people who I think aren't walking with God, who aren't walking with God, and yet somehow God is speaking through them. But in particular, we who are followers of Christ should be especially assured that God's Spirit is dwelling in us. That I can say with 100% certainty. You have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, so you you should be anticipating, you should be expecting that because we are in Christ, because we are united with Him, Paul says that we have the mind of Christ, we have the heart of God. Put that together with your deep gladness and the world's deep need, and it means that we should be not only contemplative and reflective in thinking and listening and, 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 and attentive to God and the ways that He's at work, it means that we also are putting hands and feet to our faith. That we are the body of Christ at work in the world, the world that needs the church to be the church. We especially have that spirit dwelling in us. At the, end of, at the end of this month, the last Sunday of this month, we'll be having another combined service, and it's our semi-annual meeting. And we've done this before. It might, might have been a while since we've done it. We're going to have another Yay God Sunday, the last Sunday of this month. Okay? What that means is an opportunity, if you've never been here for one of those, it's an opportunity For you to share or to hear the ways that God is at work among us. And I would hope and pray that between now and then, you're paying attention to the ways that God is at work in you and around you. And I'm not talking about giant leaps and huge earth-shaking stories. I'm talking about simple ways that you've experienced God prompting you or ways that you've seen God at work in your life or around you. The ways that he's shaping you and moving you. That's all. So here's why we want to do this. Because I was focused on Simeon and Anna, I started thinking about the ways that I am so encouraged when I hear God still, hear of the ways that God is still at work in those who are, you know, 70, 80, 90 years old, okay? I come back to that. And I thought, wait a second, it's way bigger than that. When I think about even here at Zion, when I see many of our young people, the children, young children, adolescents, I am so encouraged to see in many of them just a love for God, a a, a joy that they have in their faith, a joy to serve, a joy to give, a joy to be part of what God is doing here among us. That is so encouraging. Asher, up here for the first time singing today. Thank you. And uh, to see the heart of these young people, and I'm going to ask you to do this because I'm not a great encourager. But I need to pay more attention, and I'm, I'm urging us to affirm in our young people, when we see Christ in them, when we see God at work in their lives, to, to point that out, to affirm that for them, to say, I see Jesus in you. Thank you for being Christ-like in your character. We need to do that for our young people. I love it when I see it as well in the middle school and high school students. We have, we have young people here who have such a heart for God. 
Such a heart for serving people. Again, I want to affirm that. I want to celebrate that. I want to hear how God is speaking to them and the ways that they see God at work in them and around them. And you know what? Those young people, many of them are like prophets as well, right? They've been here long enough. They've been in this, they've been in our community long enough to be able to now critique, to call out the things that they're like. Why do we do that? Why don't we do that? And for us to listen. Because God is speaking through them. Okay? And then to see in, 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 our, in our college-age students, you know, again, to, to, we, I know parents, you do your best to raise your children here at the church. We do our best to instill faith in them and a foundation. But then they go off to college, sometimes even Christian colleges, and they start wrestling with things and questioning things. And I was privileged over the last few weeks to have coffee and lunch with a couple of our college students who, who God is at work in their lives. And, and again, it's an encouragement and a joy for me to hear the ways that they're wrestling and, and asking questions, good questions, and learning and growing and how they're maturing in their faith to a whole new level. That, to me, is encouraging to see God at work in their, in their lives. And then among my peers, among people that are somewhere near me in age, okay, to see in many of you a hunger for God and making adjustments in your life. Sometimes it's your pocketbook. Sometimes it's your calendar, your schedule. Make, making more room for God to serve, to give, to, to learn, to grow. And when I see people still hunger, hungry to grow, in, not only in God's Word, but reading other things that are helping to shape their faith and their understanding, you know, the, attempting some new spiritual practices, to hear God in new ways, experience God in new ways. Kudos to those of you who are doing that here. Tim, who's helping us get in the Word on Sunday morning. Pam and Karen and others who, who, who are helping us to listen better to God and experience God in new and fresh ways. We're going to do everything we can to help you. And, and maybe this whole series, What If, is wrongly named. We've been saying, what if God, what if God, what if God. I think God's saying, what if you... What if you would listen? What if you would respond to what I'm doing? What if you would join me, God? What if you would join God in what he's doing? The what if is on us. I don't think there's any question what God wants to do. The what if is, is what if you? What if you wanted to partner with God? What if you wanted to see God and experience God at work in your life? What if you want to make a difference in the world? What if you want to be the change you desire? Yeah, those are catchphrases, but they're real. God wants to use us, every one of us. Oh, boy, what time is it? Um, I need to wrap this up. Oh, I could say a few more things. So, this is part of this whole what if as well. In a recent devotional, Father Richard Rohr underscore the need for the church, the whole church, to be both contemplative and action-oriented. And this is what he wrote. He said, we need Christian people who are trained in, validated for, and encouraged to make home and hospital visits, do hospice work and jail ministry, support immigrants and refugees, help with soup kitchens or food pantries, counsel couples before, during, and after marriage. Why do you leave it to the single guy to do that? Share child development resources. I'm serious. I'd like to say I'm somewhat qualified, but come on. 
That's the first time in my ministry I've been willing to say that. I'm not the one that should be doing premarital counseling or marital counseling or postmarital counseling. I don't know any of that stuff. Oh, okay, I know a few things, but I know what the books say. Ah, oh, rabbit trail. So, <laughs> child development resources with families, offering ministries of emotional, sexual, relational healing, help with financial counseling, building low-cost housing. I can do that. Take care of the elderly, run thrift centers, all of which put Christian people in immediate touch with other people. And then Rohr went on to say this. He said, my vision of any future church is much flatter and much more inclusive. And by flatter, he means get rid of the hierarchy of you know, he's, he's Catholic, so there's a lot of hierarchy there. But get rid of the, 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 this gap between the clergy and the laity, thinking it's only the pastor who can do X, Y, and Z, and start mobilizing everybody. That's what he's getting at. And being inclusive, welcoming everyone to be part of what God is doing. And then he says, either we see Christ in everyone, or we hardly see Christ in anyone. Frankly, he says, my hope for Christianity is that it becomes less churchy, less patriarchal, and more concerned with living its mission statement than with endlessly reciting creeds every Sunday. He says, there seem to be very few actionable items in most Christians' lives beyond attending worship services, which largely creates a closed and self-validating system. And then he says, simply put, any notion of a future church must be a fully practical church that is concerned about getting the job of love done and done better and better. Again, it's not a matter of what if God. It's a matter of what if you. What if me? What if us? What if we? So this concludes this sermon series, but it dare not conclude our contemplation and determination to put hands and feet to our faith for God's glory and for our neighbor's good. Amen. Amen.